Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks to our choir. So glad you guys are back. It's a huge blessing to hear you every Sunday. We're going to miss you uh, here in a few weeks when we are in the Fellowship Hall for worship. Uh, but thank you for all you do. These guys rehearse um, during the week uh, and uh, just give it constant effort. And they give it their heart, too. And so I appreciate that. I love the song we sang today. Uh, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been what? So, so good. And that's something to say. I mean, if you really put it in the framework of all my life, I mean, all your life. But that was the moment in the, in the presentation this morning that I heard voices start to rise from back here singing that song. Without permission, I might add. Um, but it's like and I was singing it and I heard people behind me and over here singing th these words, all my life. You have been faithful all my life. You have been so, so good. It's like you can't help it. And uh, one thing that just impacts and impresses me is the fact that for many of you, I know a little bit about your life. I know there are people here today who are hurting and who are in deep need in those places that you wonder, how long can this last, Lord? Uh, you're in places of, of questioning, why are things this way? There are some here who struggle I mean, inch by inch to get in physically in the morning, to sit here and to worship God together. And you, even you, me, even me, we all can say with absolute confidence that all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. We serve a great God, a powerful God, but also a good God this morning. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. We're going to look today at the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. If you want to begin turning there, you can. Uh, but Daniel is um, a testament of the goodness of God. Uh, in all circumstances, no matter what, uh, no matter where we find ourselves, God is proven to be good and indeed sovereign over those circumstances. You know that Daniel was uh, sent into captivity, taken as a slave to a foreign land, and through his experiences there, uh, we see over and over again that God is sovereign. That means that God is the one in control over nations and kingdoms, over those who are in leadership. He sets them up, and he takes them down. Uh, they may think they're strong, and they may make a proclamation, uh, but it is God who stands with his children, even in those circumstances. And so, uh, we've got a great picture here of the goodness of God that we're going to get into for several weeks uh, beginning this Sunday. The title of the series is On the Lord's Side, uh, The Life of Daniel, <clears throat> and today's uh, sermon is Into Exile. Exile is simply a place that you don't want to be. You're away from your homeland. You're not, it's not like you planned You've been taken, and Daniel was taken from the city of Jerusalem by a conquering king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, taken with others uh, into captivity 900 miles away uh, to what we would now call Iraq. If you can be imagined being taken from the city of God, uh, the presence of God and his people, like we're here this morning, I mean, the togetherness, the fellowship, the purity of worshiping God, uh, all you've known your whole life, and you're dropped 900 miles away in a foreign land, in Iraq, for instance, and they worship pagan gods there. 
And all around the city uh, is a giant wall with gate after gate after gate named after foreign deities. I mean, false gods. A huge temple to uh, a false god named Marduk was there. And, and then there was a, a pyramid, a ziggurat, if you will, uh, that was built there seven stories high. All around you are symbols and reminders constantly. I'm out of place. This is not my home. I don't belong here. This is not what God had for me. And so Daniel is there in this setting, taken captive, and we can see ourselves in this situation for a few reasons. We can see ourselves in this situation because we are, like Daniel, in exile. For so long, we thought of the United States and and many people thought of America as that bright, shining city on a hill from Scripture, from one of the uh, one of the stories of Jesus in the New Testament, that bright shining city on a hill that would declare to the world God way, God's way of doing things. We thought of America as, uh, as Zion, for instance, as the country, the city of God. Uh, but in recent days, we have seen that this is more like Babylon, isn't it? And we are more uh, like exiles uh, than we are at home uh, in this world. That's how we're supposed to see it. Uh, That's the right way to see it. Our citizenship is in where? Is in heaven, the Bible said this morning. And from where do we await a Savior? From it. Our eyes are on Jesus. Our eyes are head to the the future. We're in exile here. If you don't think of it that way, just just try a few things for me. Just uh, try looking around in our world. We got a phone call the other day from one of our dear sister churches right down the road of another denomination actually and asked could they meet here at our church for a one-time meeting to discuss leaving that denomination because um, of unfaithfulness in the denomination. A once faithful group of churches uh, founded on, on, on folks, by folks who uh, focused on holiness and pleasing God has gone and jettisoned the doctrines of God has jettisoned the authority of Scripture, has gone on its own way to appease a sinful world. And these faithful folks who have lived in our community for so long are saying, we're going to have to meet at your church because we're not even allowed to meet at our own church property over this issue to talk about moving out of this denomination, our homeland. I mean, that, that's, that, that's their, their homeland. They're having to leave it. We're exiles in this world. Think about the issue of sexuality and all the issues, the public issues that go along with that. We don't even have to make a, a public declaration on issues of, of great importance in sexuality. All you have to do is make a personal decision to live purely before God, to consecrate yourself and to preserve your body unto Christ and to preserve yourself as a godly gift to your husband or your wife in time to come, young people. That's all you have to do to realize that very quickly you're in exile and that people think of you that way and the response and the reaction that you're going to get to decide publicly to practice purity in that way. All you have to do is try to watch something on Netflix and see, hey, this is, not, this is really not my homeland, is it? You can't find anything to watch that you don't have a twinge of, uh, of conscience about all you have to do is look at the book of Ephesians we just studied and try to practice in your household godly headship 
the love of Christ, men, toward your families. Ladies, to practice godly submissiveness. Students and, and children, to practice godly obedience. To practice integrity in the workplace. To be upright and above reproach in the places in your life. And all of a sudden, you'll see a broken world looking at you sideways. Because this is not our home. You take a godly stand on things, even, even not a stand, just a personal decision. Try shopping for clothes for your children. Try finding a homecoming dress, and you'll see this is not our home. We're exiles. And so as we look at Daniel, I want you to see yourself in this. Also, we're not unlike Daniel in another way. Uh, he was young and weak and suffering and outnumbered. And many of us here know the feeling of not being strong, of, of not being impervious and barriered up against the pain of living in a world where we don't fully belong. <clears throat> We're not unlike him. He was probably 13 to 16 years old when he was taken captive in 605 B.C. We see Daniel in the pictures in the lion's den, and what does he look like? He's got a long beard, right, like Trey Hall right here. He's, 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 he's in the lion's den. He's standing there most times with his hands behind his back. You've seen him tall, slender Daniel, older with a beard. What is happening at the outset of the book of Daniel is that he is probably 13 to 16 years old, probably 14 or 15, honestly, when he was taken captive. If you can imagine that, kids, if you can imagine that for your kids or your grandkids, all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. They're 900 miles away. This is not a fierce warrior. Uh, this is a vulnerable child who is taken. He is suffering. His family is gone. His home is gone. All that's familiar to him is gone. All his favorite food, there's no comfort food, there's no cracker barrel, if you can believe that, right? Uh, it's all gone. He's there. He's isolated. He's outnumbered. There are gods. There is a king, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, this is a picture of weakness. Now, Daniel's faith is strong, but uh, you don't have to be a mighty man or a mighty woman to see yourself in Daniel. He started there as a weak and vulnerable young man. And so let's read this together. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. If you don't have your Bible today, these words will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. And we have those set out on the back table for you to take uh, at no cost to you. And if you need a Bible, please take it. That's what it's there for. That's the heart of our church um, for those to be there. And so you use that if you need to take one home. <clears throat> in the third year, verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Jehoiakim was the son of Josiah who reigned as king. Josiah, who did such great reforms and tried to call Israel back to holiness. Jehoiakim, his son, who succeeded the throne after Josiah, uh, went uh, the way of wickedness again, like so many of the kings. And in the third year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. 
These vessels would have been important things that, that sit around the church or, or the, the temple or the tabernacle. It would have been the, the golden things and the, the, the lamps and, and all the candlesticks, all the things that were important there that were familiar, that were sacred. Uh, the Lord, the Bible says, gave the king of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar and that's just another word there for Babylon, to the house of his God, little g, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Asphanaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of his people to, the, to Israel, to bring some of the people to Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths, without blemish, of good appearance and skillful, in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And he commanded him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them daily a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. We don't know them by that name. We know Daniel by his name, but we know them by different names because the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. <clears throat> Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Everything was taken from them, all the way down to what? Their very names, the names that they had been given. And so today we're going to look together. How do God's people find victory? How do we live faithfully in exile? There are three principles that we're going to look at very quickly. The first is this. In exile, God's people do not have to despair of God's presence. In exile, God's people do not have to despair of God's presence. Why is that? We look in scripture here. The Lord is involved the entire time. In fact, it is the Lord himself who starts this whole equation, isn't it? It is the Lord, by his wisdom, somehow, by his power, by his decision, who chooses to give Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that is God's people, Judah, into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. It is the Lord himself who, who initiates this entire scenario. And it is a desperately dark scenario. But it's the Lord who initiates. It is his power. It is his wisdom. They're involved. They're involved even in captivity. That means no matter where you find yourself today, even if it's just the pain and the suffering of a broken world, the Lord is not far from you. The Lord presides over these things. And if you find yourself in captivity, if you find yourself in exile, suffering for the cause of Christ, then listen, the Lord is not far off. It is he who is involved in this entire issue. I went by the other day, Krispy Kreme donuts over in Buford. Anybody know of Krispy Kreme? They're the best donuts. I mean, they are the best donuts. There are times that somebody will say, would you like a donut? And you say, well, where's that from, right? I like Ingalls donuts. You know, I, I love Ingalls. It's the shining city on a hill for me. It's a, I love Ingalls. Their donuts are delicious, but by 6 p.m., they're stale and dry. you got to get them early. I like Danny's Donuts because it's local. 
And I like to support Danny's Donuts because the vile Dunkin' Donuts has built right in front of it down here on Winder Highway. I find that to be rude, and I'm supporting Danny's. Let me tell you a secret that may get me fired. I don't like Danny's Donuts. I don't like the product, okay? Don't hold that against me uh, for too long. But, but I like to support Danny's Donuts, and so I'm okay with that. Uh, I do not like Walmart Donuts. Don't even bring a Walmart. It's an insult uh, to bring a Walmart Donut. They're terrible. But I love Krispy Kreme. Somebody says, hey, you want a donut? I say, where is it from? They say, Krispy Kreme. I say, yes, please. And the one in Buford's not even a good Krispy Kreme. It's a bad Krispy Kreme. But it's still the best donut around. They're delicious when the red sign is on and it's blinking. You go in there, you can eat a dozen of them without thinking. At least I can. I mean, I mean they just go down your throat. It's delicious. It matters where something is from. It matters who makes something. And in the case of the situation we see here, this is a terrible situation. This is not a situation that it, it tastes good to us. This is not a situation that feels good to our senses, but we know that because God is the maker, we know where this comes from, we know there is goodness in this recipe because we know that God is good. We can sing confidently, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good, and we're walking in hardship, we're walking in pain. This is not a, a treat that we want to ingest, but God has put us in it for some reason. He's made you and me exiles at this time on this land when things are hard, when we don't know what the future holds for our kids and our grandkids. How is it that they're going to live to be a Christian in this world that is so against us? And Lord only knows what is to come, but we know the goodness of God. God is not far from this situation. In fact, don't forget, it is he who gave the king of Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. There are three statements of God gave in these few verses. The first is in verse 2. God gave the king of Judah into the king of Babylon. The next one is in verse 9. God gave Daniel favor. Verse 9, not on your screen. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see it. God gave Daniel favor. And in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill and wisdom. God's hand is not only here at the outset. God is also here in the midst of it. God has not sent you down a road and left you alone and abandoned you. Go on. Go on, child. He's not done that, sent you down that road and abandoned you. God is there in the midst of it, at the outset of it. God never leaves. When we feel the pain of faithfully following God in a hostile culture, never forget you are not here by accident. You're not here by accident. There's a purpose for you here. And secondly, you're never alone. In exile, God's people don't have to despair of God's presence. Don't despair of God's presence. He's with you. But secondly, in exile, God's people do not have to give up what belongs to God. They don't have to give up what belongs to God. I can't help but notice the reasons that these guys were chosen. Did you see that? The king said, here's the type of guys <clears throat> I want you to bring. 
I want you to bring uh, these guys uh, who are of the royal family and of the nobility. They have specific qualities. They're from specific bloodlines. Uh, they're being primed and prepared in Judah for specific things, the ruling class. I want them to be young, young, impressionable. I want them to be moldable. I want them to be without blemish. That means they, 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 they don't have character flaws. They don't have physical flaws. These are the guys that I want in my kingdom of good appearance and skillful in wisdom. I want them to be sharp. I want them to be knowledgeable. I want them to be ready to learn. I want them to be the kind of person that can stand in the presence of me, Nebuchadnezzar, in the presence of the king. All of those qualities were given to these boys by whom? By God. And somebody else wanted to take them away. You don't have to, you don't have to give what God has given you to the culture around you just because it wants it, right? Now, these guys weren't, were helpless to stand against the king and to deny going, but while they were there, uh, they, were, they were able to remember that they belonged to God. God had given these gifts uniquely to them for his glory, for his purposes, and Babylon wanted to take it for itself. I was in the nursery uh, with the kids last week, sitting around a table and uh, downstairs with the little toddlers, and uh, one of them brought me a book to read, and I did. I opened it up, and we started reading it, and um, another little boy came near and wanted to sit there and read the book too, and the first boy started to take the book away from me. He did not want this other child to be able to have any access to that book, and so I tried to hold on to the book right in front of me, even though he was pulling it and pulling it. I had to squeeze really hard. I started sweating. My face started getting red. The ladies working in the room were looking at me, and it was embarrassing, right? This little toddler was about to get the better of me with a tug of war over this book. I'm just glad he didn't want to arm wrestle because I would have been really shamed, I'm afraid. But, and one of the ladies looked across at me and said, I'm sorry, Pastor Matthew. He's a taker. That's one of your darlings in here, by the way. <laughs> said, I'm sorry, Pastor Matthew. He's a taker, right? I guess some of them are just takers. And, and uh, it reminded me of, of what we're looking at today. The, the, the Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, they were desperate for what they saw over in Judah, what God had given and placed there for his own glory to say, we want that to come into our possession. We want to shape it for our purposes. And you're, when you're in captivity, friends, we do not have to do that. We may have to go. But we do not have to surrender what belongs to God. Here's what this looks like in our culture. Babylon looks at you and finds athleticism. It looks at you at school and says, hey, he's a good baseball player, good basketball player. Uh, we want you every Lord's Day to be on the practice field. And by the way, in the summertime, it's not enough to play school ball. You need to play, what, what do they call it now? Select ball, travel ball. And all of a sudden we say, well, yeah, after all, I am a good athlete. I better go and do what they want. If I'm going to be involved, this is what I, I need to do. And the coach will say, well, you know, if you want to be competitive, you need to play in the offseason too, another sport. And if you want to get a scholarship, you really need to sign up for this. And before long, what God has placed in you, that athletic ability is being squandered on the ball fields of Babylon. That's how it looks in our culture, in our Babylon. I see your intellect. And they say, oh, you're a smart one. 
Your test scores are good. You come into our colleges and our schools. It's going to be a, such an honor to, to come here. And, and while you're here, we're going to shape your thinking. We're going to mold that. And before long, if you're not careful, we come out as, as godless, as those who reject Scripture. They saw something else God gave, and they took it. They look at your youthful vitality, and they sexualize it and commoditize it, take it their own direction. Men, they see your integrity and uprightness in the workplace, and they decide to corrupt it. Men and women, they put before us all the things that glitter in life, and they look so attractive to us. And they say, if you want to be measured as successful, then you need this and you need that. And before long, we're deeply leveraged and dead, and we're pursuing all the things except for God. They look at churches, and they say, don't you want to get along in Babylon? Don't you want to be liked outside of these walls here? Then you need, to, you need to cut it out with this stuff about sin. You need to cut it out with this stuff about holiness. You need to cut it out with this stuff about Jesus being the only way. That's very exclusive. That's very unpopular. And After all, can't you catch up to the times and churches all over say, you know what, we do. We do want to be popular in Babylon. And we do want to, we want to build a bridge to people for the love of God. And in building that bridge, we jettison the truth of God. Babylon says, give it to us. But friends, we do not have to surrender to them, to, them, to a broken and a sinful world, to a, a land that is not our home, the things that God has chosen, the design that he has put in you, your family, and your life. You can hold on to those just like Daniel and his friends did. Sure, they didn't have any choice but to go. But while they were there, they remained faithful to God. God has called you to deeper places than friendship and favor with a fallen world. He has more powerful purposes for you. He has higher glories for you. He has a fuller knowledge of himself prepared for you than that. Don't give them what belongs to you to God. It's, it's very difficult. I know that. It is very hard. Uh, we are saturated and surrounded by this world. It is Babylon. They've got the temples, and they've got the pyramids, and they've got the gates, and they've got the walls, and they've got the king. That's hard to stand up against, but you are the people of the everlasting God. We've got more. And so we can stand against these, thing, these things. In exile, God's people do not have to give up what belongs to God. We don't have to despair of God's presence. But lastly, in exile, God's people do not have to forfeit their God-given identity. We do not have to forfeit this God-given identity. The king had a very deliberate and proven plan to transform four of God's children into full-fledged Babylonians. He put them in a new place, took them out of their homeland. If we're going to mold them, we need to get them on our court. We need to get them in our territory. We need to have them here on the home, home field advantage for us. They brought them to a new place. They gave them a new language. They taught, taught them the language of the Babylons, new studies, new food even. They, they gave them new food they wanted to eat. And all the way down to new names. The names used to mean something significant, a faithfulness to God. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. 
It's a powerful name. Belteshazzar, the, his new name means Bel, B-E-L, which is a false god of Babylon. Bel, protect the king. Daniel had to be called a name after a false god. Hananiah meant Yahweh. That's the eternal name of God, the proper name of God, the one true God. Yahweh is gracious. His new name, Shadrach, means command of Aku, a false god of Babylon. Mishael, this is my favorite of all their names. Mishael means who is what God is. Process that for just a minute. It's as if to say, who is like God? Uh, I wish I knew that. Jackson, I would have named you Mishael uh, if I knew that. Uh, Mishael means who is what God is. His new name, Meshach, means who is like Aku, another, the false god of who. It's just totally inverted the whole, the whole thing. Azariah, Yahweh is a helper. Abednego, servant of Nebo, another false god. He tried to take it all the way down to their very identity, everything that identified them as belonging to God <clears throat> they wanted to take. But these guys did not fit into that mold, did they? In a minute, I want to show you a picture, but let me explain it to you first. Um, I've been seeing these pictures of pumpkins shaped into faces. Have you seen that? They'll take a clear plastic mold and they'll put it on a young, a little pumpkin. And that pumpkin, as it grows, will grow into the mold until it's like a pumpkin in the back, but it's like a face in the front. Here's a picture of one. <clears throat> Can you see the face? It might be a little unclear up here, but you see that they put that face on there. And the pumpkin, it's, it's really creepy, isn't it? I mean, that's, that face is supposed to be a Frankenstein face. But there's been a controversy. People have been very upset because they say it looks like Joe Biden. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if you see it or not. Um, it's a pretty cool idea. I don't think I want one, uh, but <clears throat> it's a pretty cool idea. And so uh, you, you, you put this mold on there, and, and as they grow, they're just going to fill out every space in the mold until they come out fully grown, <clears throat> looking like this. That was the idea for these Hebrew children, for these four boys. Th this was the idea. Let's get them and let's mold them. Uh, what, what's our mold going to be made of? What shape is it going to take? Well, we're going to take away their, their homeland. And by the way, there's a word here for, for college students, young adults and newlyweds. You're for the first time ever in a new place. It is so easy when you're in a new place to surrender all that you had before. And all of a sudden you're on your own in that college dorm and you've been with God's people for uh, 16, 17, 18 years, right? You, you've known the fellowship and the bounty of blessing in this place, but now, boom, you're over here. You're making your own decisions. Listen, that's a vulnerable time to start going a different way. Nebuchadnezzar knew it. Satan knows it now. I want you to know it too. Newlyweds. You get married, so well, we don't want to go to his home church, and we don't want to go to my home church. <clears throat> We're going to try to find a new church of our own, a together church for us. And you say, well, have you all been visiting churches then? Well, no, we haven't. Something's new, locations change, geography's different, family's gone, and all of a sudden you find yourself knee-deep in Babylon, young adults, 
same thing. Be careful. Be careful when your location is changed. Be careful when you're removed from these things. In this case, it was forcible. In, in this case, the mask, the mold had to do with a new place, a new language, new studies, new food, and new names. But they didn't grow into the mold. They wouldn't grow into the mold. They can't change. These, these four guys cannot change where they've been put, but they don't have to become that place, do they? They don't have to become Babylon. They can't change the teaching they're under, but they don't have to become what they're taught. They can hold strong to the things of God. By the way, you have to know the things of God to hold strong to them in a foreign place. You and I have to know the things of God. The Bible has to be important to us. Prayer and, and the Holy Spirit has got to be real to us if we're caught in Babylon to be able to stand up against these things. They can't change that teaching, but they don't have to become it. And they can't change the name they are called, but they do not have to become that name. Be careful in Babylon and know that you have the right under God not to forfeit the identity that God has given to you. No matter how loudly a lost world cries for God's people to become like them, no matter how great the pressure grows to be, no matter how high a cost you have to pay, the Lord is worthy and always. He is worthy always of our faithful fidelity to him. And he does not ask us to surrender who we are in Christ. He is able to sustain and to reward those who cling to him. That's the testament of the book of Daniel. God is able. This starts out with a small thing. We'll read about it next week. Starts with an issue of food, right? <clears throat> Daniel's going to say, you know what? No, I can't, I can't handle that food. I'm going to be faithful to God and not eat the king's food here. It starts small, but it grows into something big. And I want you to know today, whatever you're dealing with, it may seem like a small issue to compromise on. Well, can't I just compromise on this in Babylon? What I watch, what I listen to, where I go, what we do, what I wear, how I speak. Can I, can I compromise on the small? Can, I mean, come on, can't you just eat the food, Daniel? Just eat the food, dude. It's a small thing. But God takes those small things and he honors them and grows them into powerful representations of his goodness. Why would we do this? Why, why do we have confidence for this? I'm going to close with a story today that actually another preacher told. I'm going to repeat it here for you today. It has to do with um, the British Broadcasting Corporation. I know that sounds exciting, right? This is it's going to be awesome. Uh, anyway, uh, the British Broadcasting Corporation. Um, in the 1920s, this uh, corporation who was started uh, by a man named Lord Reith, R-E-I-T-H, uh, had been going for some time by the 1920s. And uh, at one of their meetings at a long conference table, Lord Reith in England uh, <clears throat> was there presiding over a, a big meeting. And a young man stood up and he said, uh, we, need to, we need to cut our religious programming. He said, the world's grown up from that. People aren't looking to that anymore. I mean, we, we, we're smarter than that now. We, we know more than that. Why would we be uh, putting on the daily prayers of the Anglican, Anglican Church on, on, uh, on this program? Why would we be having this anymore? We need to move on. <clears throat> Lord Reith 
who was six foot six, by the way, told the man to sit down, and he himself stood up, all six feet, six of him, stood up, <clears throat> and here's what he said. I'm going to quote it to you. He said, he said young man, <clears throat> the church will stand at the grave of the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. The church will stand at the grave of the BBC. What does that mean? The church is going to outlast it all. The Lord Jesus told the apostle Peter that he would uh, build his church upon the fact that he was the son of God given for sin, that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church of God, the bride of Christ will stand when all of this is gone. When our politics are, <laughs> are said and done, when it's over with, when your business is closed down, when your life is in the grave, the church is going to stand. The church and the founder of the church, the Lord Jesus, are all that is going to last. Why can we stand in a, a place of exile and with absolute confidence say no to the encroaching culture because it's temporary and God's faithfulness is not. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me all my life. You have been faithful all my life. You have been so, so good. Hang on. Let's hang on in Babylon. Let's hang on to the Lord Jesus. As exiles, yes, we'll serve as exiles, but we will do so with faithfulness to God because he never fails. Even in exile, he never fails. What are you building your life on? Are you building your life on that which is unchanging? Or are you building your life on all that we see around us? Make a pledge today to be his. Let me pray for us. Just a moment, I'd like to give you a chance to respond if you feel the need to do that. <clears throat> we'll have the front open here. If you need to come pray to God for some reason, it doesn't have to be in response to what you've heard today. Maybe you just need to ask God for something. Maybe you need to surrender your, your sorrow to him, your pain to him. Maybe you've been far from God for some reason or another. Listen, that happens. It doesn't make you weird. If you need to come to God this morning and say, God, I've been far from you. I haven't understood you. I've been walking a painful road that has placed a barrier between me and you. Lord, I give this back to you. I want to be yours again. Maybe today you come for salvation or for baptism, for church membership. The floor is open to you. The altar is here. You can pray alone or I'll pray with you, whatever you desire. Don't, don't fail to hear and to respond to God's spirit today. You can pray right, right there where you're at if you need to. But if, Lord's, if the Lord's spoken to you, why don't you speak back to him? Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness this morning. <clears throat> and we thank you, God. In fact, we praise you. We, we, we don't know where we would be without the fact that your goodness is not dependent on our circumstances. Thank you, God, that in Babylon or wherever we are, you are right there, that your wisdom prevails, that you preside, and in fact, you call us your very children. And with that guarantee, help us to stand for you in this world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, for how you have pursued us to salvation and made us your own. May we walk in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, the floor is open.